ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of Final Good stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no other questions on my end. Feel free to kick off how, however you'd like. All right. Um, trying to think. <laughs> how do we want to start this, Spruce? What do you mean? We're already... yeah, so that's the other thing. We're already Nick. in like, it. We're already before in Before this, it. there will be an intro video. <laughs> Come together. Right now. Over me. All right. So. For those who don't know, in the box below, Spruce and I is good friend Nick Chegg. Nick is an avid Beatles fan. He is also a keyboardist, vocalist, and just a lover of music. So we welcome Nick on today to talk a little bit about Abbey Road by the Beatles. And so to start us off, Nick, why did you pick this album? So, you know, in, in picking one album to to go through and, and unpack, like I had a couple of in mind where I'm thinking, like, what do I truly listen to front to back? No skips, no every word, no what's next. Um, and I had several options in mind um, for what could fit that criteria. Um, but honestly, like my, my whole musical taste, I, I think is largely influenced by the Beatles. Uh <laughs> think back to like high school um before we had uh like bluetooth connection on spotify to play whatever we want in our cars like you either had an, an ipad or an ipod and you maybe had auxiliary out capability or you had cds and um and I, I would just be blasting beatles albums on repeat in my car like constantly and that, that was like my music for like most of junior year of high school and senior year uh and like one like before before junior high school, I listened to like a lot of, I would say, pretty typical uh, top forty pop rap kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I started listening to the Beatles and I just started googling YouTube. You know, you think like Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, like these were big names. I never listened. I never gave them a shot. And when I put on like the, the, when I put on the Beatles, I was just like immediately blown away. And I was even more surprised that it was from the sixties. I was like, I expected 60s to be just like, like, do 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 bop, do do ba da bow. It's like beach music. And it, it was, it just, it just felt so contemporary. Um, so, in, in, I mean, in, in, in one more, one more piece on this is like the Beatles is like our, our band that like my fiance and I like really bonded over when we start, really started dating. And we have paraphernalia all over our apartment. Uh, there's literally a Led, or Abbey Road poster on the wall across from me. There's like the Beatles on the wall here there's a hafner base i was gonna say you gotta pull out the base at some point yeah and we both we both have tattoos my dog is named my dog's name is lennon <laughs> so it's, it's like an obnoxiously uh uh deep passion so um i was excited to talk about this album in particular because it seems it seems to me to be the most musically concise the most uh polished front to back um and just symbolically accurate portrayal of what the Beatles were in music. Uh, as this was like the last album that they had actually recorded. Um, and, and, it, and, it, and it ends with, with a B-side that is so like epic. So I, I felt that this album in particular was one that was worth discussing over the others, even though they're all also seminal feats of work. So would you say it's your favorite Beatles album? 
Yeah, I, I think so. And and I and I, I again it really comes down to like the the B side, like the the way in which we see the different musicians contribute to this. Like Ringo Starr, I'd argue, is having the most fun and trying different fills and messing around. Um George Harrison writes two of his most probably popular songs in the Beatles discography on this record. Uh, and, and we see like a vocal harmony on so many songs that is just like super crisp. And you can just hear George Martin on a, at his peak, uh, like the Beatles main producer over that time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, especially what you're saying about Ringo, I feel like the song, the end, that's like one time where I hear like Ringo really shine. Yeah, I'm sure. sure I'm sure we'll get into it, but that's his only solo in the entire discography, <laughs> <laughs> and it ends with the end. I just want to give a shout out, or like just something that came up in the news recently uh, that I didn't know, and I feel like a lot of people don't know about the Beatles. So, un- uh, so recently on May 22nd of this year, so two days ago, for when we're recording this, the a gentleman by the name of Charles Newby passed away and Charles was a British musician who was briefly the basis for the Beatles for several gigs in December of 1960 while Stuart Sutcliffe was still in Hamburg focusing on his art career and so I guess I had no idea I heard of Stuart honestly when I like I've I, I love Wikipedia. We'll just dive into just all bands whenever I have interest. But I don't even think this Charles guy is on the, their Wikipedia page, but he has his own Wikipedia page. So it's all kind of crazy in the wiki world. But nonetheless, I've never heard of him. <laughs> Charles, I'm going to take your word for it. And I'm going to say, may you rest in peace. You were an OG Beatle. <laughs> yeah, one Sam Senior, one of the Corey men, which was the Beatles before the Beatles. That's right. When they're in high school, 15 years old. Was that Lennon's band? Yep. And uh, yeah, his first uh, met, met Paul in school and uh, and Paul knew George. And uh, Ringo was still like living somewhere else uh, in the UK at the time, um, which is where you hear like the name Pete Best and Stuart Sutcliffe. And they're originally like a five person group. Um mm-hmm. And I, I actually didn't. That. <laughs> I actually didn't know Charles Newby was someone who was who was hopping in. Maybe he was the guy before Paul because he's played bass. So that probably makes sense. I was and John, and John was just like John was just like I don't know if I like this Charles guy. I think that's another <laughs> person in mind. Stewart, fuck your ah, uh, come 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 with me. <laughs> I got that's this weird funny. chap named Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so yeah. Nick, do you know like how this album kind of inter, I guess, intertwines with "Let It Be," if you will? Because I'm just like, just pulling up some quick facts about the album, and it looks like they were almost like, like they didn't finish recording "Let It Be," and then recorded "Abbey Road," and then finished recording "Let It Be." Do I have that timeline right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was basically like within in some of the same sessions they were recording both albums. Uh actually okay. if if you and I'm speaking to the general audience, if you watched the uh three-part Beatles docu-series Get Back on Disney Plus, if you haven't, highly recommend. It's absolutely incredible. 
like just an amazing glimpse into the Beatles working style in, in their later years. Uh, in that album, they're or in that documentary in, in the span of time, they're trying to rush to figure out some sort of project to accommodate Let It Be. Um, and do, while, while they're jamming on some of these Let It Be songs, you hear like the early glimpses of Abbey Road songs, which is super weird because Abbey Road was released a year before Let It Be. So they kind of had a meshing together some of some of the recordings um, and and ultimately decided to release Let It Be after like the band uh, or just before like the band had ended. Okay. Yeah, that's a crazy fact. Yeah, that's wild. They broke up in 1970 and it's like that's so early into their just like career in general. Yeah, it's it is mind boggling, like looking at how many albums they have in like six years of existing or seven years. Uh, like, <laughs> like uh, until recently, I thought that that was pretty undoable until I came across a band that I know we're all quite fond of. <laughs> Giz. The Giz. I am Gaia. Yeah, side note, seeing them in two weeks. Oh wow! Is that that's that's early June? Wait, so is that at the Salt Shed? Is that the name of the venue? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, three nights in a row: Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, definitely going Tuesday, but I'm like considering a Monday show too. Dude, I'm telling you, you should. You will. You will not hear one song played on Monday that will get played on Tuesday. <laughs> Like you just get two totally different concerts. I'm also because it was like one of the last available seats was like a premium box spot. Like they ha- this venue is brand new. It's super dope. Uh, it has a massive floor, and then they have one like premium seated section uh, up, kind of like near the stage, almost like if you were uh, going to a, me- a festival, right? And you could sit in the like VIP section. That's sort of like where I'm at. But I'm like, I kind of want to be in the pit. And uh, so I won't be in the pit for Tuesday night. And from listening to y'all's uh, cover of your concert experience uh, to hype me up for the show, I feel like I might have to go on a, on a Monday to get in the pit. There's nothing like it, man. I'm telling you, the <laughs> yeah. undertow of that pit just will take you up for Think <laughs> like bloody beat roots from like Lollapalooza. 2011 it, it'll be like that honestly that was like verbatim the first thing i thought of when i heard you tell the story <laughs> because i remember the part in your story where you're saying uh at one point you just had to get off the side and take a breath and <laughs> i remember spruce uh this is 12 years ago um my first festival i think i think it's adam's Lollapalooza yeah. 2011 headliners like coldplay foo fighters muse eminem it was like our first experience into like just what a festival experience was. And uh, we're at like this tent uh, that's like all dubstep and Buddy Beat Bruce is this like EDM house group. And it's we're waiting for Skrillex back when Skrillex was like it was like just peaking, like because they just come out with like some of the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And we first we, we just experienced for the first time, I think, being like sardined and like just <laughs> a ridiculously unsafe environment for two 18, 17 year olds. Uh Anyways. I don't even know if we were that old. I think we might have been 16. <laughs> we were definitely going into our senior year of high school. <laughs> yeah. um, were we? I feel yeah. like we were going into junior year. You might be right, though. I yeah. Think, yeah, you yeah. are right. I think. And then 
We went, yeah, in 2012 with Jeff. Correct. One year later. Anyways, thanks for the tangent on Giz. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize uh, <laughs> that musicians could pump out so much content in such a short, short period of time. But the Beatles band should do that before many other groups are able to do that. And and, and with such a diverse, a wide ranging, just like transformation of sound, style, experimentation, instruments, all the things. Um, really fun, really fun to talk about Abbey Road in particular because that's kind of like the culmination of the transformation, if you will, from like beach music with like simple haircuts uh, and suits <laughs> to like totally hippie, uh, just like new alternative. And so we begin on September 26, 1969 at 47 minutes and three seconds. We have the Beatles Abbey Road. 17 songs. And then obviously we have the classic lineup. We got John, you know, singing on the piano. We got George Harrison singing on the guitar. Paul McCartney singing on the bass. Ringo Starr singing on the drums. And to put in perspective of what Nick was just describing, again, this is their 11th studio album and in such a short period of time. And this thing kicks off with one of the most popular Beatles songs ever in Come Together, sitting at 4 minutes and 19 seconds. This song is, I mean, awesome. It's just, you know, one of the classic songs of the 60s. Um, honestly, so this is going to probably surprise both of you. The first time I heard this song was actually not by the Beatles. Aerosmith does a cover of this song on their Greatest Hits album, and I had that CD as a kid. And so for like probably about a year, I thought Aerosmith wrote this song. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear that song on your top 10 cover list. Uh, I I listened to that episode too. (laughs) Well, hey, if you heard, well, okay. But if you heard my criteria in order to be on there, it has to be better than the original. Ah. So (laughs) fair enough. I'm saying I like the the original more. (laughs) Which, yeah, I definitely do, honestly. Like, the Beatles version, I would prefer. Just a legendary kind of melody, man. Everyone knows it. Every single person out there knows it. And, again, just the melody of, like, the call and response. Like, don't, don't, Like, it's so fucking good, man. Shout out to the Ice Cream Militia. I was just about to say that. They did a nasty cover of that song. Oh, man. I bet it was ridiculous with all that brass. This dude who we we actually had on, he came with Tanner. His name's Patrick. Plays trombone. He, like, put the trombone down and was singing during that song. And, like, none of the regular singers were singing. Yeah, Dude, that was incredible to see in just a packed place at the Soiree the Stallions. First annual. It's the annual. There you go. Uh what's what's fun about the song is um it it it's actually like yeah, I think it was I'm pretty sure it was written by John uh initially to uh to combat or to vocally oppose Ronald Reagan's gubernatorial run. 
uh, in California. So this is like a, this is like a protest. And what's fun on this album in general that we'll get to is like, you hear, you hear the different styles of McCartney and Lennon where McCartney is like love song, love song, silly song for your kids. And Lennon is like really getting this like revolutionary period of his music where it's like, I don't care about that anymore. I care about Yoko Ono and like, like rising up against government and the wars and everything. And it's just, so it's, it's, it's an interesting first uh, glimpse into how the styles diverge at the album. Okay. And so, wow. Okay. If he's opposing Reagan, that's like for governor, not even for president. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Reagan was elected president like the year, the year yeah, before the 80s, after right? uh, Lennon was murdered. Um, oh. <clears throat> coincidence (laughs) i'm not saying ronald reagan killed john lennon but i'm not not saying that it could be something dude (laughs) i i'm open to it i i don't think kurt cobain killed himself We've had that discussion on here before with the Petersons. I remember that. <laughs> I think Dave Grohl killed Kurt Cobain so he could have his own band and be in the spotlight. Uh-oh. Yeah, so that's... Wow. I'm kidding. I'm totally this, kidding. This could I be a, a whole other episode, <laughs> totally though. No, no, you just put a crazy thought in my head. How? What would have happened if, if Kurt Cobain didn't die? Would there have been a point where Dave Grohl eventually broke off and formed his own band... Or would Nirvana have like fifteen albums? Like, <laughs> you gotta think the former, right? You gotta expect maybe. That. I don't know because I mean, if you're Dave Grohl, even though that was in him the whole time, if you're fucking making millions of dollars as like the most popular band in the world, that's a pretty tough gig to leave, you know. And then you're also not only that, but you're going to compete with the band that you just left. But I don't know. There will always be the one that happens all the time. (laughs) Side note, because we can get back to the track list. I know we have a lot to get through, but you should do a whole episode (laughs) on music conspiracies. And I would love to come and talk about the Paula's dead one, which is another fun music conspiracy uh, that is also highlighted in this album through the artwork of the actual uh the album artwork itself fun stuff speaking of that hold on i mean just speaking of that in general like it is iconic like i i was doing this shit when i was in like grade school just anytime you see crosswalk you just pretend to start walking had this bad boy just sitting in the background but let's bring it on screen more focused here we go (laughs) abby road why is John the other foot? Why did John put the other foot? Yes. Wait, Paul, wait. Paul is holding a cigarette and he's barefoot. Just talking to get the screen back over here. See it, people? You see it? <laughs> that, that shit slaps. <laughs> that shit slaps. I'm awesome and I'm proud. I'm awesome and I'm proud. <laughs> yeah, this is like a original pressing from the 60s i don't know if it's necessarily like first edition or anything like that because my dad was born in 63 so he would have only been six when this came out so he probably i'm guessing bought like a third or fourth edition you know after this album had been out for like five or six years and he was 
old enough to start getting into music, but still cool. Like, I feel like this is like a piece of history right here. That's super dope. Uh, and what's funny is if, if you actually, if you ever actually go to London and go to Abbey Road, it's like a super underwhelming spot. <laughs> hmm. Like it's the, it's the smallest street. Weren't they just like, let's go take a picture? Like, we need to cover? Like, let's just go. Yeah, yeah. Session. They're like, let's go outside. It's like literally outside of the studio. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, it, could, it, could, it could speak more about their their, their their tone at the time where they were just like, screw this. I'm kind of done, uh, which was sort of the tenor among the group, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it still slapped. And again, it started off with come together. And then we just go right into an all timer of something which sits at three minutes and two seconds. Yeah, yeah, this song is like one of their most psychedelic songs, I think. Just like, yeah, it's very out there, but it's also super catchy at the same time. It's it's really pretty, and I one thing I really appreciate about the Beatles in general is how George Martin and Paul McCartney would bring strings into the music um that started relatively early um but in this song we get a lot of that with uh a whole orchestra of of violins and violas and um and it really elevates the sound uh on top of it just being like what a lot of people consider their best song um definitely george harrison's best song and contribution to the band um it is rich in harmony there is like when, when, whenever george sings it gives a chance and when, when ringo sings it gives a chance for the other two to really go in on harmonies and there's someone who is on acapella I, I appreciate that a lot more now when i listen to music um and just 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 a tune where you get everything you get like a pretty acoustic vibe you get a whole orchestra forming the backdrop and you get just rich vocal harmony yeah, that's sorry not to sidebar, but like that has that is like what has really gotten me in to the Beach Boys recently is just being so fascinated with like how they just use their voices as instruments and like don't even really like focus on the music too much. Like a lot most of the time they're outsourcing that and they're it's just like everything is about the singing and their singing drives like the bass the high end the mid end like everything yeah it, the beatles are like the same way yeah it adds such a, such a new such a different element to the sound and i think really fills it up because you know you you, you have you have all these instruments that are contributing in their own different way uh but then you have just a, you have like full chords uh in in voice that give it this like extra layer that i really wish like being in a band with adam back in high school i knew more and we could have added more to our own sound (laughs) but uh it's honestly huge in music i preach about it i feel like every other episode on this thing with just having those backup harmonies it fills it up the empty space and drives like the emotions with the songs and yeah no the beatles do a great job with it i mean you just I, every time I hear the song, I'm just like down, 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 and it's Something just it's so it's so just like simple, but it's so catchy. It's it, 
you said it before, Nick, this album really started out with these two sums up the Beatles, but then going into the number three, which is Maxwell's Silver Hammer sitting at three minutes and 27 seconds shows you that the Beatles can take it sideways. This song is like super nutty and without actually knowing, I would guess Paul wrote this song because a lot of his solo music is like super nutty. Am yeah, I he's right? A, you're right. He's Hell a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> and to put it to put extra little uh, cherry on top of that Sunday of weirdness, um, this is the only song John Lennon isn't on in the album because he protested it because he said it sounds like quote Paul's grandma's music. And damn, <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is Ringo's like, yeah, it does, but you know our fans need some of that. Um, I, I heard a great quote from a, from a good buddy of mine who uh, is another is a big Beatles fan, and he and he's, and he's, he said like the Beatles can write the most beautiful song ever, and also the most ridiculously silly song ever, and they'd be like back to back. And Maxwell Several Hammer is definitely what I feel like to be a low on the album, um, but it's something that you can like play for your kids, right? Like it's fun, it's kind of silly. There's other tunes like this across your discography that are like just out there and wacky, like Obla D, Obla Da off of the White Album. Oh, that was so good. I <laughs> I used to rip that shit all the time. I forgot about that song. I got to go add it to a playlist. Like Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite off of Sgt. Pepper's. Um, it, it's just more, honestly, it's, it's more about Paul's ability and willingness to storytell in the weirdest ways, right? Like he bring, he makes these characters, he creates these personas and he involves, he tells a story that's not all about love. Uh, you hear this, you hear this most notably like on Eleanor Rigby, right? Like just like a full random story. That's so fictional and he has names in it. And it it's just not a, it's not, it's not a love song. So it's like this weird other tangent that Paul goes in where he gets super weird and tells fun, silly stories. Um, so Yeah. Maxwell Silver Hammer. Yeah, I I mean I love that about Paul honestly. Like I would say out of all the Beatles solo careers, I definitely like Paul's the most like by a lot, honestly. <laughs> like some of those Wings albums are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess do you even consider that Paul solo cuz technically it's a band called the Wings. <laughs> Yeah, and John could have rivaled that if he had more time. True. Um, <clears throat> and George too. George's like follow-up album to the end of the Beatles in like seventy-one or something, mm-hmm. maybe seventy-two. I think the fifty-year anniversary was like within the past couple of years. Uh, was like a killer, and actually included some cuts from Abbey Road sessions. Um, but he died in like the early two thousands, I think, of brain cancer or something or lung cancer. Yeah, yeah, dude, this one, I don't know. I was watching some sort of Beatles documentary. I don't know when or where, but nonetheless, I remember them talking about this song and like when they're like, bang, bang, Maxwell, like they're actually just banging like uh, an anvil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah, I was I mean, I just think Looney Tunes. I'm like, well, the the thing they drop on the heads. Yeah, like they're literally hitting an anvil in a studio. (laughs) (laughs) The shenanigans, like, like I just imagine like just bros being in a recording studio, being like, "What else should we do? That's silly." 
Uh, and then John being in the corner with this, just a cig being like, oh, children, I can't put up with this. Song. He's like, he's like, I want to be singing about, whoa, here, are we get serious? Oh, oh, I'm going to go hang out with Yoko. And then Paul's like, what if we hit the anvil with the thing and do this stuff? And Ringo's just like, oh, I don't really care what we do. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> George is like, I still get my three songs, correct? Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious that is yeah we just broke that down for you stampede out there but from here we go into a ripper of oh darling sitting at three minutes and 27 seconds and i've definitely like heard this song before yeah i dove into this full album but man this one really just sounds like a Christmas song if you listen to like the way it's sung in the backing track. That's all I could think of just listening to it. Oh, darling. <laughs> like, baby, please come home for Christmas. <laughs> it kind of has like a blues vibe to it as well. Yeah, like I, I honestly think of that like maybe it's Christmas once again, and like I don't know whatever <laughs> song that is. Yeah. Is and it fucking you too? It's in six eight time, isn't isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Spruce, I know exactly what song you're talking about. The U two song. That's so. On. Don't you tell me. <laughs> one two yeah. three. One two three. One two three. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in six eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah. really great song, man. Like honestly, I it's just so catchy and just I don't know. Tell wow, it says I'm reading just right here. Oh, darling was written by McCarthy in the the doo-wop style, like contemporary work by Frank Zappa. Hey, yeah. So honestly, Nick, when you were describing like Paul's songwriting, that was like exactly what came into my mind. I was like, this sounds like what Zappa does. Because he does the same thing. It's just like random like fictional characters just like doing the most bizarre things in these like zappa stories yeah yeah uh, and, and <laughs> no the, the, in this one uh like you've kind of forget that the beatles are a rock band sometimes like because you know in the 60s like rock was so different than what you may think of even like five years later uh and Paul like rips this song, right? Like he's like screaming and it's fucking awesome. Uh, and I read that he actually would like sing it in the morning, like before recording this, like three or four times to get his voice to be like a little worn out, a little raspy. So he could just sound kind of like a bit of edgy. Uh, and you, you hear this kind of, you hear this kind of sound, unfortunately not enough, but when you do, you're like, Dude, Paul McCartney can rip chords or rip, rip notes. Like he gets up there, like mm-hmm. hel- like Helter Skelter, and you know these these songs where he just like lets it all out and uh, um, super epic epic one for him to just rip it on. Yeah, the, the singing in that song does go hard, and then we just keep getting harder and harder as we continue forward into the octopus's garden sitting at two minutes and 50 seconds and man oh man does this one just get me going <laughs> like that guitar at the beginning I like to be 
definitely wrote it on acid i would i would hope so at least or else like just what are you doing with your mental faculties if you're writing this song not just totally i'll tell you what we're getting ringoed man that's ringo's on the lead vocals on that one yeah and it does show like you said it opens the harmonies in the background and you hear it very evidently in that chorus the harmonies in this song are redonkulous like and I, i i again i think like when you put when you let paul george and uh John, like, take a step back and let Ringo do something <laughs> vocally. They have just so much more flexibility with the harmonies, and it's so tight. Like, every harmony is, like, ridiculously tight. Um, and I think also, like, one of Ringo's most fun drum, uh, just drum rhythms um, on this album. He he plays around a lot. He he changes it up a bit. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just so, like, non-consistent, um, but it, it works really well. It's just, like, one of those songs, again, that you could, like, play for your kids when they're like two or three and they're just like i love this this is super fun um but probably another one where john was like i'm not having fun this is like so silly <laughs> yeah it, it almost has kind of like a country or even like southern rock vibe to it which i mean to me that's like a good thing like we're we're what five songs in and we've just talked about like all these different styles these songs have like yeah that tone or sorry i I was just gonna say that guitar tone is definitely right up that alley yeah it's like twangy yeah like country southern rockish it's fun and i i think they wanted to do i think wanted to put the song here because of what's coming next (laughs) Oh yes. Uh, so I think they're like, where does the song fit on this album? Not <laughs> quite sure. Not on the B side. Not at the beginning of the album. Maybe we could use it to lighten, light up the mood before we hop into like just this next, just heavy, heavy beast of a song. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll Go take ahead, it, Spruce. Yeah, I mean, I just heard the word heavy, and I just wanted to jump right into it. So I want you. <laughs> Parentheses, she's so heavy, and this is <laughs> a long boy at sitting at seven forty-seven. Hell yeah! Second most, second longest song in the Beatles' discography, behind number nine. Number nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> number nine. Revolution nine. <laughs> like a thirteen-minute. I'm not going to call it a song. <laughs> Another acid trip. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this one's prime, right? Like it's super, it's super heavy. And uh, I, I read that just about, it's just a John writing, uh, writing about Yoko. Um, what's cool is like in the, have you guys ever seen the movie Across the Universe? I have not. I, I have. I bring it up because it's, it's basically the uh, Mamma Mia of the Beatles. Okay. Right, like you, you guys talk about in your ABBA episode, how like there's a movie that's all ABBA songs, and it's like a musical. And Across the Universe is a like Beatles musical with fictional characters and everything. Uh, and in in that movie, they 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 sing the song, and uh, the the the, the, the movie set during like the Vietnam War, okay. and they have this really cool like imagery of like the song being about Uncle Sam saying like I want you, 
like I want you for for, for the for the sign up for the army or to sorry <laughs> not, not to sign up I want you and you're gonna come uh, go to a jungle for no reason. That's uh, <laughs> but I was disappointed to learn that it wasn't about that. In fact, and it was just about Yoko. Uh, but nonetheless, like a super long, <laughs> super uh, intense song that. Um, has some diversity. There's one point that makes you think you guys are big like Santana fans, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like there's this like one guitar break halfway through the song at like 340 or something. It's like a minute long and it's just like sounds like straight like out of, out of a Santana album, just like this guitar run that bleeds into like an, I think a time a time signature change. Um which makes it just a really fun <laughs> it makes a seven and a half minute song different. Like like you might hear in a in a in a Giz song. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting you say that because one of my favorite jam bands, Umphreys McGee, this is like a staple in like their live repertoire. They 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 have this song on an album where coincidentally enough, it was recorded at Abbey Road Studios. It's called the London Session, and it's a live studio album. So like they went into abbey road studios and just like recorded an album like one take so it's like live but there's like you know there's no like fans or anything there and it's studio sound quality um but this that was like one of the songs they played and i guess what i'm getting at is like a band like umphreys that is like a jam band always playing like super complicated intricate music is not going to pick a song like that to cover unless it is, you know, complicated in its original form. Yeah. It's one of those songs where like, there's enough of a structure that you can really diverge away and make it your own and do fun stuff with it. And where like the song structure itself, it doesn't follow a typical like verse one, chorus one, verse one, chorus one bridge. Right. Or it's like outro. It's such a weird song structure where it gives any bands who are covering it the ability to do really whatever they want as long as they say, I want you, like a hundred yep. times. <laughs> um, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of, 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 of McGee's. Here's a fun fact that I came across. So this song altogether is a combination of two different recordings. So the first one was in February of 1969. That was right after those Get Back, Let It Be sessions with Billy Preston. And then a second version was made during these Abbey Road sessions uh, in April of 69. And so that's when they put it together. And the final mixing and editing of this track actually occurred on August 20th of 1969, which was the last day in which all four Beatles were together in the studio. Uh, Man. And uh, you you, you remind me of something spruce and talking more through that you mentioned the name billy preston uh i'll reference back to that get back documentary Mm -hmm. you'll you'll see him in this documentary if you watch that but he was what uh towards the end of the beatles in those last few years what people have considered like the fifth beetle like a ridiculously talented like ridiculously talented keys player um that is he's super prevalent on let it be you'll hear him throughout the entire album uh but on this song he has this like one run uh, a key run that is like absurd. And I hope that you guys can like cut it and play it over me talking. 
uh, uh, in, to be in clear, post. Wait, we're talking about like Billy Preston, like the soul Motown. Yes. Damn, I had no idea that he was like involved with the Beatles. His, his like Billy Preston music is incredible. Yeah, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was John who wanted him to join the band uh, as an official member. And wow. Paul was, and Paul that was the been fucking nuts. Are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> and Paul, Paul papooed it, I believe. I think that's, I think that, that that's the correct history, um, which is so B. And I think his, I think it, I remember hearing that his, his mentality behind this was like, it's enough to wrangle you three idiots to rehearsal, to record. I got to do a fourth. Like that just sounds stressful for me as like the, <laughs> like basically like the band leader with John over here, just like, Dicking around with his with his wife nonstop, and George is a bit tapped out. And Ringo's again still happy to be there, but he's <laughs> like, I got to deal with with some fifth dude now. Even though he just brought this like ridiculous sound to the to the last few albums that you didn't get before, so it is sad. Yeah, but it, hey, so this song is a hell of a way. And for vinyl reference, this is where side A will end, and it ends pretty abruptly. If you listen to that full song, it just like cuts out. And yeah. that makes sense why it would be the end of the side. So they make you flip it right into probably. Yeah. Like I said, come together was maybe one of their most popular songs. This one has over 1 billion streams, at least just on Spotify itself. Damn. <laughs> or wait. Yeah, they have. Yeah, that's 1 billion. Wow. That's insane. And then come together has 607 million. So. That's a shit ton more for this song in itself. But anyway, here comes the sun. Everyone knows that shit. And that is three minutes and five seconds. Yeah. Banger, obviously. It's like one of those you hear and you're like, that's fun. I'm so happy. It's all right. It's all right. That's like the song where like you're out driving on a spring day. It's like finally warm. You know, like we're out of the Midwest winter. And you just toss that on and you're driving for with your windows down for the first time that year. Yeah. Hey, he does say it in the song, like, it's been a long and lonely winter. (laughs) (laughs) Sun, 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 here it comes. Yeah. uh, Harrison, probably what most people say is like his most famous song, obviously, and gives him the flexibility to. Uh. No, you can cut that. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a thought there, and it just totally lost me. Um, it, it gives another chance to like add just a, a whole new sound uh, in his own right that isn't like a Paul John song to the to the album and to the discography in general. Um, and another song where again the vocal harmonies are just super tight, and uh, I know that George sings a part of those harmonies as well. So um, super full song and. I think a really fun way to kick off uh, the second side of the album. Yeah. Yeah. Cause really, so like the first side I feel like is all pretty well structured. Like, I don't want to say mainstream, but like broken up into formatted songs other than like, maybe I want you, but outside of that, I mean, like you got, you know, six, six songs. Um, 
and then yeah you flip it over you got this song which like follows that same format and then you just get into like just absolute insanity with just how like these next songs we're about to go through it's just like one just flows into the other into the next into the next into the next and like before you know it you're like oh shit album's over so yeah it's got one of those vibes (laughs) i was listening today to uh uh i'm not in your mind fuzz i'm bringing it back (laughs) up again sorry about that but uh no giz is always welcome here (laughs) and i in in that album if you listen to it again it's like one of those where it's like this b-side but front to back <laughs> like the entire album flows and uh mm-hmm. that's different where they kind of use like the same like almost like the same root chords like the same uh, chord progression and just change up the music throughout the whole album and but this is like it has to be one of the first times where a band just had like a stream of consciousness over seven songs and where they transitioned each track so seamlessly right um i have to mention that was hard to do when you're recording on vinyl in the 60s um to make sure that it flows so perfectly but yeah uh, adam you're referring to like really the the beginning of the medley uh or actually the the penultimate song to the medley which is because okay yeah i mean it feels like because is the beginning of it but i could see how like maybe you could wait one song more to like consider it really probably just because and we'll get into because here in a second like that song ends and then we get into like a different chord progression and the beginning of like of you never give me your money through the end is is like where it's the ends of each songs flow perfectly into the beginnings of the next songs um that's why i might say that the the end begins after because. Okay. We sound like we are in the Wizard of Oz because, because, <laughs> because, because, because. because. Uh, and, da, 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 what, I finally remember the uh, words. <laughs> da, 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 what thing she does. <laughs> anyway, because we're going into because, which sits at number eight, and it is two minutes and 45 seconds. Psychedelic surf music vibe. Yeah, uh, the harpsichord. Just like that spooky. It opens with a spooky um, melody. Uh, And I I hold back up just just to fact check myself. Um, But uh, John Lennon is seeing is watching Yoko Ono play Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. And asks her to play it backwards, <laughs> and like that's the root of this song of this of this uh, opening melody, which is geeky. Um, and also, just before we get into the song itself, very reminiscent of the Beatles' tendencies to experiment with recording and to try backtracking and recording songs in reverse, uh, and doing these like rev- and at the time innovative techniques to record music flipping like the the actual recording track and like scratching it up and just doing all these weird things to like mute the sound or change the sound um 
it makes sense that John Lennon is like thinking, what if we just did this other way uh, and try to try that out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like definitely one of the more out there songs on the album. <laughs> oh shit. What's going on Spruce? I heard him say Lennon and the Lennon glasses are right in front of me. <laughs> Peace to all. <laughs> Well, hey there, John. I didn't see you. I could give you my bass if you want to play your song or two. <laughs> okay, is it okay if I do that? <laughs> no! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap these for the rest of it because shout out to Lennon, baby. Yeah, you have to now. And now oh, we yeah. go into... Oh, wait, wait. But we got to just say one more thing about this about the song before we hop in. Please do. Which is like... It's mostly it's mostly acapella, like it's most there. It's, it's only harpsichord, uh, and maybe some. I don't know if there's any other instruments on it, uh, and it's mostly acapella, uh, okay. and it is just like insane. Uh, and actually, I think each member recorded themselves three times, um, so it's like there, there's nine vocal tracks layered on on this thing, um, sort of like sort of like what you'd hear in a Bohemian Rhapsody. Right, like in the breakdown, um, with like with the operatic part, and it's like Freddie Mercury like nineteen times recorded over himself. Uh, mm. So appreciate the vocal, the vocal uh, part of this song, and I actually encourage listeners to go find because off of their re-released, like basically the best hits album called One. Uh, I think it's One or, or Love or something like that uh, in like two thousand ten. Um, and the version on that album has no harpsichord. It's just acapella. Mm-hmm. It's the okay. kind of thing that you would like lay in a field and like eat mushrooms. To- I'm kidding. Um, but like, <laughs> there's no joking on vinyl stallions. This is a very serious forum. Never have ever, mom. <laughs> but all right, so dude. I- this is crazy because I honestly didn't know what to expect. I've never listened to this album all the way through. And again, as Klepp pointed out, majority of these songs so far have just been like, you know, when the song ends. And I wasn't expecting a 16 minute medley of just insane songs going into one another. And that is kind of where this album is about to take us as we head into you never give me your money sitting at number nine and that is four minutes and two seconds yeah this one really features features mr lennon over there like the piano in this song is incredible yeah certainly um and it's one of the song it's one of it's one of their songs that they change up the the chord progression, the melody, like four different times, but it still works. Like it isn't just a, such a radical pivot mid song where you're like, what the actual hell was that? But like the way that they transition from this like chill, relaxed piano intro to like a more heavier, uh, I want to call it like, pre-chorus uh into like this breakdown at the end it's just so out all over the place um and kind of the perfect start to this just super diverse medley in general 
It, dude, those guitar solos at the end are just wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll, we'll get to the call out to this song later in the album and later in the review. Well, we will continue down the path of moving into one of the most interesting songs off this album, Sun King, sitting at number 10 and 2 minutes, 26 seconds. And this one honestly kind of feels like a Pink Floyd song at first, or maybe the whole time. But yeah, it's just like, you know, super slow. And then towards the middle of it, you know, just they all kind of harmonize like here comes the sun king and like the whole thing is like pretty psychedelic yeah i was uh i was in florida this past week like sitting on a beach uh after work and uh with abby and her family and, and just and the song came on and i was just like yeah like this feels right like it's super smooth it's really like calming <laughs> and it's like their weird attempt to probably the, maybe the second or third time in the photography where they sing a foreign language uh, at the, in the last like 30 seconds of the song, they do what sounds like they, they sing in what sounds like Italian, but it's like messy Spanish, messy Italian. <laughs> they use a Portuguese word in there at some point. Uh, obrigado. Which means thank you and i like can't confirm nor deny if this is like an actually like one language because they're using just different <laughs> i think a blend of, of of languages in this outro i was so confused honestly because one i was like has this song been in a different language this whole time like as you mentioned santana like i just rip like I don't know Spanish all the time. I just don't even think about it sometimes. And yeah. like it caught me and I was like, wait, is this been a different language? But then they go back to English at the end of it. And I'm like, okay, they just tossed that in there. But <laughs> yeah, no, this and, was a very interesting one. I I really dug this a lot. And, and the harmonies that close out that um, the vocal harmonies on this outro in different languages that leans into the next song uh, are just like, again, really musically tight. Yeah, I almost feel like this song is just like kind of feels like an intro into the next song. Into the next like four songs. <laughs> yeah. Because I, so, yeah, I think this one ends, it's like, it's like. Yeah, dude. So, yeah, these two back to back, I was like, what is happening? So, number 11, Mean Mr. Mustard sitting at one minute and six seconds. That is. So, yeah. Are these some of the fictional characters, or is this like one of the fictional characters that he's making up? Or, you know, yeah, is this a Paul song? Clearly, this is a joke. But it was, it was written. Uh, I think during their trip to India. So okay. uh, in 68, uh, while they were recording and writing the white album, which is like a massive album, it's like, it's like mm -hmm. somewhere between like 18 to 20 tracks. I think uh, they, they go to India and hang out with this like Hindu, just like spiritual leader for a long time and write these just geeky songs that end up on, 
white album. And I think this song was one of those that was from those those sessions, um, doing acid and hanging out with the Maharishi. I believe it was. <laughs> Maybe peyote or something was involved. But anyway, P, P was on their mind with the next song at number 12. Polythene Pam, and that's a minute, 12 seconds. And I think you got to listen to me, Mr. Mustard, and Polythene Pam back to back. You're not getting the full experience. Yeah, weird one, super high energy. The the drums here are where like Ringo really starts to just like open it up and just yeah. goes hard from the song on to the very end of the album. Uh, and, and it's sort of where the the continuity really really feels like like it can't be stopped at this point. Uh, John Lennon singing, uh, another fictional character. Um, I don't really know the meaning of it. Uh, but uh, it's got to be a little geeky. Yeah, yeah, and George busts a nut at the end of the song too. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like the last twenty, twenty-five, maybe thirty seconds of it, he's just ripping. <laughs> I just like envision like in the studio. <laughs> Go for the solo, Georgie. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, shit. not <laughs> not that kind, George. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to blow. Don't stop, George. <laughs> Man, that could be a fun new recording technique that they could have tried. Just well, yeah, just just yeah. do it in reverse, speed it up a little bit, and it sounds like like it's like some new like sound effect they can use. Innovative. <laughs> All right, come on, don't give away recording techniques live like this. Someone's gonna have to take it and also pay for a nice cleanup in a studio soon. <laughs> we take royalties. Uh, send some cash to Adam's mom. <laughs> 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 well we continue down this just shout out to sandy <laughs> yeah shout out to sandy but we continue down just this rabbit hole uh that is this medley and it goes into she came in the bathroom window and at a minute 58 seconds and I, I wonder why she wasn't allowed in the front door does anyone know uh i do know this is uh there's a, a fan who broke into paul's house <laughs> like that just did um, <laughs> and she came to the bathroom window protected by a silver spoon well damn i mean i feel like that would inspire people to want to break in more i mean you get a song written from paul himself <laughs> like talk about inspiration to just go and do something <laughs> that's like the opposite of adt <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. don't go and break into Paul McCartney's house. I, I myself and Vinyl Stallions, we denounce anyone that does that. We'll put you in the ground. Wait, but no, that's not a threat either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'm reading into it now. Um, uh, according to the person, uh, Diane Ashley, she said, we were bored. He was out, and so we decided to pay him a visit. We found a ladder in his garden, stuck it up at the bathroom window, which he'd left slightly open. I was going to climbed up and got in. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's yeah. all breaking and entering. Diane. Yeah, don't in in America, you're shot in the head if you do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Let's say you get a song from Paul. 
but we continued on, I believe. So that one was written by Paul, and then and so was the next one, which is Golden Slumbers. The whole end of this album, the last four songs are all Paul. It's Paul. Okay. It's Paul Machine. Okay. Yeah. That explains everything. So Golden Slumbers, a minute 31, sitting at number 14. Yeah, and... <clears throat> I mentioned like that story. I mentioned like how when I'm when I'm in high school, like I'm listening to this album front to back, like nonstop. And this is one of the ones where like you you kind of can't believe how much you get in such a short period of time. Uh it's so it's so short, but it's so pretty and has just like the best thing about the Beatles music sometimes is that it's so simple. Like there's like three chords or two chords uh in this whole almost this whole song. Uh, and it's so beautiful and they bring in again George Martin brings in the strings and there's just like orchestral symphonic sound in the backdrop um, that uh, it, it's just again bringing in that musical just detail uh, in only a short minute and a half but it's it's the perfect setup for for like the, for the for the three P what's this sometimes this, these last three songs are often referred to as i mean dude this song was so powerful the way it is sung like you go halfway through that song golden slumbers and it's just like i don't know like powerful is just the word that keeps coming to my head with some grip behind it is how they're singing it's so good yeah and kind of how like nick you were talking about how paul sings and oh darling i feel like this song has a little bit of that in it like he just kind of really you know explodes with the singing i guess i'm not sure if it's paul but whoever it is singing like about like 45 seconds to a minute in like just gets like really big oh yeah yeah he full chests that he 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 it is paul he goes full belt mode uh in that and it's just like uh that that rock that rock that rocker in him that can like just belt like on our darling or helter skelter um super good it is so all right so you say it's called the three p what we're headed into with one of my favorite in carry that weight number 15 a minute 36 Gonna carry that way. Carry that way. That's just such a party song. Definitely a song I'd imagine playing at just a rager <laughs> uh, on a Saturday night. Um, no, but it rocks, right? Uh, this um, another song that is musically diverse, like. Um, you never give me your money off the, off the album where they switched up a little bit. They go into different, uh, just into different musical rabbit holes. Um, and most notably in the song, when you just hear a just anthemic brass section with like a hundred like trumpets, um, doing the melody to, uh, the, you never give me your money chorus. So they're bringing back the, uh, or not the chorus, but the, the the line, the opening line, a melody to "You Never Give Me Your Money," um, and kind of like kind of like a hidden verse from that song before going into like a short but like simple guitar solo um, 
to then rip it into the end of that like last carry that weight. Yeah, the harmonies as well. Like it's just uh, like feels like a marching band, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna carry that weight. Yeah. Carry that weight. If you it, I, I always think of like you guys, my Kemba romance, my Kemba romance fans. Oh yeah. yeah, hell yeah. This makes me think of Welcome to the Black Parade for some reason. Like when I hear the song, like like the, the music video. Remember that when, when we were like in like the eighth grade, they're just walking grade, down. Yep, they're just like marching, and uh, like that's kind of how I envision this song, <laughs> like the imagery. Uh, yeah, yeah dude. I could see that, hundred <laughs> percent. And then we just continue that parade right to number sixteen, the end, at two minutes twenty one seconds, which we already discussed as being a Ringo shiny spotlight. Tell us more about it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I I was just going to say, I feel like this song is, like, very different than, like, every Beatles song. Like, they rock out more in this song than I feel like they ever do. I think uh, the only song where they trade guitar solos, like... They, it's not just uh, George um, in the middle of the song where he's ripping, and you can't. I th- I'm pretty sure they have the song, the the al- the the song tailored to jump back between each headphone. Um, so, th- so they double recorded it on the vinyl to give it that effect of like okay. left ear, right ear. But I think that's also intentional because it's like George is just like shredding you know, like a mini solo, hands it yeah. over to, to to John, and he's doing like a mini solo. I don't know if if uh I, I don't think Paul is as well, um, but uh you get you just get you just get like a fun jam you get that Ringo solo like you mentioned, and mm-hmm. also just like a really a really fun uh, dynamic uh, drum rhythm from Ringo. Yeah, yeah, definitely like the most impressive Ringo drum song in my opinion. No, it's it's just so well put together, honestly, this album. And, of course, it has to end with just Her Majesty sitting at number 17. Yeah, number 25. Or, sorry, 25 seconds. Number 17. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple other hidden tracks that I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> it's to come out on the 100th version, or on the 100th anniversary of Paul is Dead. The unreleased tracks. No. Um yeah, weird, weird, weird tune, right? I think I think I read into this a few weeks back and like they were uh it was just Paul at his home and did this on a guitar and uh the producers wanted to put it on, or George Martin and his producers wanted to put it on, and he was like kind of indifferent about it. At that point, the band was like pretty much done, so they're like, Yeah, why not? We'll throw it on there as a hidden track. <laughs> Which is super fun. Thinking back to like what that must have been like in the '60s, when you don't have a device to see what song is next, <laughs> and you just get a vinyl with like no, 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 no indication that, that there's going to be a, a hidden track, and it just starts playing. Yeah. But yeah, and it's like if the needle doesn't come up immediately, you you kind of just have to let it keep rolling and see what happens. Yeah, super super weird 
I, I don't know if it's, if it's if it'd be my choice of going back just with how the end ends. Um, but nonetheless, it's fun. And just like, I think the end being called the end and summing up that way was like the perfect way that they could have gone out. Right. Even though it wasn't their last album to be released, but the last one to be recorded, like just such a encapsulative uh, justice to the discography and how like they've changed so much over time. Uh, so means a lot to me. Uh, Abby, Abby, my fiance, Abby has like the Abbey road, uh, yellow, uh, the white, the white paint, uh, on her arm as a tattoo. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, 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 we buy this album a lot and play it all the time. Um, even it's one of those, you know, you, you have those artists where you're like, am I still gonna like this? Am I still gonna like this in 10 years or in 15 years? And it, it never ceases to sound boring or outdated. Yeah. Uh, it's truly timeless. Absolutely. All right, let let's go around the horn. Top three songs off the album. The, don't have to put them in any particular order, but you got to pick three. I honestly like. I know we do this with every album review. So as I'm listening to this, I was just constantly thinking that I think this may be one of my toughest choices, man. Because it really is. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks to like come together and something and. Uh, like here comes the sun are just so ingrained. Like, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but just, I don't know. Obviously you listen to the song for so long. I don't know. It just loses its place at some points and then it can obviously get revived at other points, but it, I don't want to overlook that just because it's been ingrained in my brain for the past 25 years, but all right, you're going to put me on the spot here. I'm going to tell you my top three right now. It's going to be, I'm going to put carry that weight on there. Let's go. Contrarian yep. point of view. I like it. Yes. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put something on there because I just really think that song is incredible. And then for my final choice on Abbey Road, I will have to go with Ringo singing Octopus's Garden. <laughs> <laughs> That's number fair. one. Of yes, all time. Of all time. <laughs> More than any other song ever. Ever. I do. I sit in the vault. Like, dude, that, I don't know. When I listened to it today, those ones honestly jumped off the page for me. Again, I would probably change my answer tomorrow. And uh obviously love Here Comes the Sun and Come Together. And honestly, Oh Darling, that one was great as well. Uh, but those are my three. What do you boys counter with? Tell me, Nick. Yes. Well, I, I do appreciate you giving love to Ringo and George in your uh, yeah, true. top three as well. Uh, I kind of want to give a shitty cop-out answer where like the final three songs are all one. Um, but uh, if, if, if I can't do that, then I think I'd put Golden Slumbers up there for sure. Uh, probably, uh, probably another contrarian song but you never give me your money just because it is so oh, diverse great and just changes it up and it's just a ripper um and i am torn between uh something and come together for the last one but i think uh from listening to the re- latest re-release of this album that came out i think in 2019 uh they have a, a recorded version of something that is all strings no singing and it's just like it, it's a tearjerker 
So I think because of the musical integrity, I'm going to throw that on there too. Something. Yeah, fair enough. Well, spit it out. Oh, man. Adam's yeah. like, I'm a drummer, so I'm going to go with Octopus's Garden all three times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Inject me with that shit. No, it's really tough because I have like four that I really want to say, but like I have to cut one out. But yeah, so like, let's see, what are we guaranteed going to put in? Probably I want you like I got to I got to put that in Sure, I got to put in the end. And then it's like between oh darling and carry that weight for me for the last one and you know i think i will go with oh darling because that one just oh it's so good it's christmas great time choices. always in the clubhouse <laughs> <laughs> no that's crazy movie. Yeah, no, th- no, this was a diverse top three, honestly, which just shows how incredibly just diverse this album is. And I am so very glad that this was your choice, Nick. I appreciate it because I can now say I've done Abbey Road, taking the Hell whole yeah. show. Hell yeah. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. I could talk about it, obviously, way too much. <laughs> I was given the platform, so I appreciate it. Well, yeah, yeah, no, great, great album. Like, like I said, I had listened to it once, like probably like two, two to three years ago. I'm not sure exactly when, but then, yeah, when I knew we were reviewing this, I listened to it again and just like was brought right back into just how good that B side is. I mean, the A side is good too, but just wow. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that uh, it was like Rolling Stone does a lot of like top 100, top 50, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool that I, I think in their most recent list of songwriters, Lennon and McCartney are uh, Lennon's two and McCartney's three. Okay. Um, and then this album on like their on their top 100 album list is like, uh, I, I think it was five on the most recent um, release. And and the other in the top ten are like two other Beatles albums, which is cool. So, uh, critically claimed by others than us, um, and it, it's cool to continue to get all the all the all the reception it does to this day. Well, shit, and uh, it causes a whole lot of traffic jams on one street <laughs> in <laughs> London every single day. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Everyone just wants to get that picture. <laughs> I got one when I visited and it was super crappy because there's like six cars coming and it had to be like real quick. <laughs> go That's go hilarious. super early in the morning if you wanted to get that photo done. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, that will close out our Dave Matthews album review series. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Always got to throw in Dave once in an episode. <laughs> we'll be closing out the homie series. Uh, Nick, thank you again, man. We uh, love doing these things. It was great to be able to bring in some of our friends to choose some albums. And it was great to just learn a lot from all of our homies. So appreciate you closing it out. This is the end. Hell yeah. Happy to join uh, join the stampede and uh, continue, continue the good work. Um, 
each episode gets better and better and i am genuinely interested in listening to it uh not not just because you're my friends so uh keep up the, the the good work and uh let's get that um top 10 uh music uh controversy episode going or not controversy um conspiracy conspiracy episode going <laughs> okay and i'm here for ideas always with royalties expected <laughs> i love it a businessman always <laughs> well yeah well shit now we're always looking for just new ideas and that would be a great one to cover so yeah. stay tuned hell yeah well besides that my name is spruce i'm club and this has been another episode of Vinyl Stallion. 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 <laughs> 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 <laughs>